When describing the success of Carrie, the other John Travolta starring chick flick about a bookish girl getting all dressed up and causing boys to be electrified by the power she's supplying, Stephen King noted that her revenge resonates with any student who has ever had his gym shorts pulled down in phys ed or his glasses thumb rubbed in study hall. Begging the question, Stephen, who's he? Chapter 1. Whose nightmare is it anyway? If you watch John Carpenter's Halloween and find yourself asking, who is Michael Myers? Why does he kill people? Then, I'm sorry, but you're bad at watching films. It doesn't matter who he is. He's the boogeyman, the shape. He is the threat of violence towards teen girls made manifest, called the boogeyman specifically, by Laurie and the kids she babysits, because he is a construction to frighten, in this case, young women into behaving, where the parameters for good behaviour are so constrictive and arcane as to be impossible to satisfy. Because that's what it comes down to, right? The archetypical slasher is near-invariably an inherently gendered story. Laurie Strode speaks to a cultural trauma of street harassment and stalking threats taken to gothic extremes solidified into one entity in a natural progression from the monsters of folklore used since the birth of spoken word to express big, complicated fears. Horror's roots in the fairy tale are examined further in films like Pan's Labyrinth and The Babadook, showing the horror of the menstrual cycle and motherhood respectively through bedtime stories. And don't worry, it goes without saying, we'll talk more about the menstrual cycle later on. While many women of horror cinema can legitimise experiences of misogyny, the flip side of that is the fetishization of violence the genre is infamous for. Scholars like Laura Mulvey and Carol J. Clover have discussed this at length, but for a quick primer, let's look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Great film, cinematic masterpiece, but there's a certain lack of purpose to the camera gaze. Kirk and Jerry are both killed in one hit with a sledgehammer, filmed at a purposefully detached distance, while Pam is left to squirm on a meat hook after the camera has reminded us repeatedly that she's wearing a backless shirt. Voyeuristic, both in that she is being made to watch and we are being made to watch her. Even that seems tame in comparison to the latter half of the film being saturated with extreme close-ups of Sally crying and screaming, using camera shots that I don't think I've ever seen with a man as the subject. All this in a film I consider to be art, so the more, um, commercial end of horror has a lot of imagery of violence against the female body that pushes it over into being unwatchable for me. I know, fake fan, right? This is where we get the somewhat deserved reputation of horror being hostile to women. And there's been many misjudged band-aid solutions. So what does a final girl have to do around here to be a feminist, huh? Ripley from Alien wakes in STEM, so that's a start. I can't sit here and pretend that Buffy hasn't formed about 60% of my personality, but I can critically examine the feminist praxis of making a pretty 16-year-old cheerleader survive a horror film only by virtue of having superpowers. It's something of an Ayn Randian take, I think, to shift the goalpost from if only this town paid more attention and was more proactive in examining the links between cultural misogyny and serial killers who hate their mums to if only this teen could cut off a vampire's head with an exacto knife. The pop culture critique of Final Girls will also often revolve around their ability to counter outlandish violence with a violence of their own, which I don't love as a take. 
Carol J. Clover, again, has done a lot of work exploring the rape-revenge subgenre's mixed feminist credentials. A more nuanced take on feminine violence can sometimes come from films where the female protagonist is the monster. Again, most female slashers are explicitly out for revenge, with the implication that they've been corrupted by the violation of their bodily autonomy. Carrie, we've mentioned already, holds an awkward place in cinema history. It's unclear whether the intended message is meant to subvert the stigma around menstruation or just reinforce it. Certainly, Stephen King seems to have changed his position to the former over the years. And the soft-focused, topless teenage girl montage feels like the camera is telling a different story to the script. Alice Lowe's Prevenge is a more mature, more female gaze take on Carrie, a slasher centering a murderous fetus filmed when Lowe herself was heavily pregnant. Jennifer's body has similar themes of the possessed female body, taken perhaps slightly less seriously, but instead of a woman driven mad by social isolation, it centres on an intense interfemale friendship, inspired by the subtext-laden homosocial relationships in The Lost Boys. Jennifer's revenge rampage against the boys in her school is made more sympathetic not just by the filmmaker's efforts to centre her perspective, but by actor Megan Fox's misogynistic treatment by the film industry. Horror's reputation for misogyny doesn't stop at what's on screen, with a storied history of women mistreated on set by powerful men from Hitchcock to Joss Whedon. In that light, you can see where Jennifer's coming from when she says, I'm not killing people, I'm killing boys. 